Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Are you ready to challenge a rhetoric? Today is Tuesday, January 31st, 2017. My name is Sherry Roberts, and you're listening to Challenging the Rhetoric. I'm glad you're here. Tonight, Spencer Sunshine will be joining us. Spencer is a researcher and a political consultant regarding far-right movements. It's a new year, and we have a new president. With Trump now occupying the White House and our minds, the majority of American voters are wondering how the hell this happened, and where do we go from here? It's been a crazy few days here in America. Welcome to the show. Trump's travel bans on Muslims, his Great Wall of Idiocy, a White House at war with journalists, except for the likes of far-right conspiracy peddlers like Alex Jones or those at Breitbart. What does a Trump presidency really mean? And more importantly, what does a Trump presidency say about us as a nation, as a people? We have a lot to talk about tonight. There's no more Liar of the Week, so I'm going to let you know that right now. Um, I had to give it, if, if I kept it, I'd have to give it to our uh, Fuhrer, Trump, each time. And uh, that would be, be a little boring for me. I'm sure we'll talk about him often. We will for sure this week. But we do have a new segment in the second half of the show that I think you're going to like. And if you'd like to participate with us during the live show, you can join us in the chat room on Blog Talk Radio forward slash Challenging the Rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. Just click on episode 46 and the chat room will load right beneath the slider. Now, I've already had launched the chat room. I do not have uh, my helpers tonight. So if there's any kind of problems in there, I'm going to go ahead and just shut the, the chat room down and continue up on with the show. I, I want to hear what my guest has to say. I hope you do too. Um, you can also tweet at me at CTR Newsfeed. So be sure also to visit the website and Facebook page at challengingtherhetoric.news. Now, tonight we're using the hashtags CTR, no Muslim ban, up in arms, resist Trump. Remember, this is a dialogue, not a debate. Our guest tonight is a recurring guest. He recently published an extensive and very well-written report called Up in Arms. It's about Oregon's so-called patriot movement. It's an informative read with relevant substance, so in case you missed it, I'll retweet it out for you. Along with the link to his more recently penned article, it's uh, called The Changing Face of Anti-Fascism. It too is worth the read, so please be sure to catch those links. Spencer Sunshine is an expert on far-right movements. He has a Ph.D. in sociology. He's also an associate fellow at Political Research Associates, a Boston-based think tank that monitors right-wing organizing. And we've seen a lot of right-wing organizing over the past few years. Now, as a result, we have a Donald Trump presidency, a bad reality show we are all trapped in. We need to talk. Spencer Sunshine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks for having me on the show again. I uh, I appreciate you coming on. It's it seems even more appropriate to have you on now. Um, you know, obviously this is you know there's a lot of uh, steam building with everything that that our new president has done, particularly over the weekend and and on Monday, what they've been calling Massacre Monday. But let's kind of uh, let's let's just kind of start off and why don't you do me a favor? You you have done a lot of studies on far right, so why don't you kind of define what far right is uh, and and tell us a little bit about your studies for the listener. 
Um, well, I do. I've done a lot of work over the last uh, decade studying. I originally started studying uh, white nationalist and white separatist movements. Um, I grew up in Georgia in a small town in the in the in the uh, I was in high school in the late 80s and early 90s. There was a big wave of Nazi and Klan organizing then. I I'd seen it up close. So about 10 years ago, I got real interested that they were um, white separatists who were starting to recruit from left-wing and environmental movements. And so I got more interested in studying them again. And um, then that kind of snowballed, and I uh, spent a long time looking at uh, patriot movement, for example, and the sovereign citizens, uh, which became our very well-developed movement in Oregon. Um, and then more generally, like what the roles of conspiracy theories are, um, in uh, driving a lot of right-wing politics, um, which, of course, we've seen pick up a lot of steam and now uh, burst its way into the national stage. Yeah, for sure. So um, before we jump into the political aspect of it, um, catch us up. Last time you were on the show, you had just put out the Up in Arms uh, report, which is it's a huge, huge, hefty report. It's very, very much worth reading for anybody. And within it, the the people and players that that you researched and reported on, they have relevance in these politics as we're talking about. So can you kind of recap on that? Um, well, yeah, the report's about the Patriot Movement, and it's an organized structure in Oregon. Uh, outside of just a, the takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge uh, headquarters, they have well-developed uh, organizations, dozens of them with thousands of activists throughout Oregon. Uh, and when the report came out, they were moving. It was... Um, after the primaries in 2016, they had entered into the state Republican Party, and uh, so they've tried to uh, establish uh, big uh, grassroots toeholds throughout the state. And right now, we hear that uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center has just reported that one of the main Patriot Movement uh, leaders in Oregon, Joseph Rice, is now running for um, the president of the uh, Oregon Republican Party, whatever their head position is. So they're, they're yeah, moving to take over today. the Oregon Repu- Republicans, uh, you know, the apparatus from inside. They already um, captured a number of state-level positions. They also had maybe 50 or 100 precinct committee people, the bottom-level position in the party, and they're trying to take over the party apparatus itself in Oregon. So because of the studies that you've already done of the of the players that are that support people like Joe Rice and Joe Rice specifically, um, I mean, how much um, momentum do you think that that is going to have? Do you think that, I mean, I live here in Oregon and I just saw that come across uh, my, my feed on, on social media today. So um, I'm very curious what your thoughts were on that. Um, it's tough to say, and just you know, this is a, an internal. This is a question out of the mood in Oregon in general, but the mood inside the Republican Party. Um, but it's very clear that Trump being president is shifting the whole national mood to the right. So while in the past, you know, being a paramilitary leader might have automatically disqualified somebody from leading a state Republican Party, that clearly isn't the case in the present. Um, you know, where we have Steve Bannon. Trump's advisor who's put on the National Security Council with, um, you know, very explicit ties to white supremacists. So a lot of things that even in the very recent past couldn't have been said or done in public um, and now are completely acceptable in our mainstream discourse. There's been a, a, a large and very rapid sur- uh, lurch to the right in the uh, in the national mood, um, at least, uh, you know, amongst people who are on the right. I think we're getting to be more uh, polarized as a country. People you know, who are not on the right are, um, you know, up in arms about this time, uh, you know, against Trump 
And we've seen this with people, you know, tens of thousands of people swamping the airports throughout the countries to have protests, and people are, are furiously angry um, at what's going on. So, you know, we're, there's two divergent two divergent polls going on, um, one further to the right and one, uh, you know, at least on the streets uh, on the left. I, you know, I definitely there's all, you know, all these protests that have been going on, particularly at the airports and stuff. And then, of course, when we backtrack a little bit, we had all of the protests, um, you know, after the election and, and, and between, you know, these these times. And one thing that, you know, is it's always startling to me. Now, I have been an in the streets activist. I've traveled to to do marches and organize marches and it always seems that the bigger marches are always outside of the country but the but they're about our country <laughs> and do you do you have any idea why that is i mean is it really just a complacency or do people sure fear the, the, far right? the united states yeah i mean uh, it seems so well, I mean, there seemed to be pretty big marches in the United States. The Women's March, um, the day after the inauguration was, you know, I think 200 people say 200,000 people. That's, a, you know, a huge march. Um, there are marches outside of the country, but I think the, the marches inside the U.S. have been pretty big. There's a lot of global anti-American feeling, and um, it, it's easy to um, motivate people in other countries against the United States for good and bad reasons. Sometimes it's a mixture of both. Um, I think people like to hate the U.S. sometimes, and I think people are sort of enjoying the U.S. Uh, rising in agony now. They see that Trump is uh, a narcissistic fool and that he is um, going to do great damage to the country. And I, I think that they, uh, there's probably some enjoyment outside of the country at being uh, able to watch this unfold. You know, speaking of narcissism, I think it's uh, really important. We tend to throw statements out there. We tend to use terms like, oh, they're a narcissist or this one has OCD specifically or whatever. But I think that um, people really should look up what a true narcissist is. And um, I mean, you be the judge at that at that point. But don't just poo-poo it like it's a, some kind of soundbite, just something to say. I mean, there is definitely something along the lines of narcissism, uh, certainly at play. Um, when we're talking about your studies and when you did Up in Arms and, and the Oregon's Patriot Movement, let's talk about kind of the 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 patriot or liberty movement kind of a whole and its relationship to current politics. Can you kind of touch on that? Yeah, it's not exactly what people think. I think people who are far from this maybe think that they're um, the patriot movement are solid supporters of Trump. And they're a little, I mean, they are supporting him, but they're a little on the fence. He's not particularly their guy. Their main interest in him uh, right now is that they're hoping that he will uh, pardon the Hammonds, the Hammond family, with this uh, ranching family whose uh, sentence for uh, arson on federal land was the, the original cause for the takeover at the Malheur Refuge. And uh, they want um, Trump to, to intercede at the upcoming uh, trial of the Bundy family for the Bunkerville standoff in 2014. And so they uh, approve and are defending his uh, Muslim ban, which is um, hypocritical according to their own ideology. Uh, Sheriff Richard Mack, one of the leaders of the movement, you know, personally told me he believes all executive orders are unconstitutional. So if they were a consistent movement, um, you know, they, they spent years railing against Obama and claiming he was a dictator. Um, if they were actually consistent to their values, they would be far more angry at what Trump is doing 
Uh, he's trying to override the judiciary. He's trying to destroy separation of powers, if you ask me. Um, he's trying to sideline the military, who the Patriot Movement, you know, uh, uh, are um, always are in praise, always praise the U.S. military. Uh, Trump has been snubbing them. Um, and so if they had consistent values uh, of their defense of the Constitution, they would be very angry at Donald Trump. But instead, they are defending his actions. But uh, again, I don't, there's not, to me, I think they understand he's not quite, um, he, he's not quite their guy, but he is so socially conservative that, that they're in support of him so far. Uh, I'm sure they're going to like uh, Betty DeVos's um, strategies to destroy the public education system. And they're, uh, I'm sure, waiting with bated breath about what uh, future Interior Secretary Zinka um, is going to do to open up a line uh, <clears throat> extraction use on public lands. Um, there'll be a fight about whether public, federal public lands will be transferred. Some people, a bill was just introduced to help um, speed up transfer of federal public lands to states, as well as to have county sheriffs enforce. Uh, federal regulations rather than say that federal agencies so the BLM wouldn't enforce the regs the county sheriff would uh, so some people and that was just introduced into uh, as a uh, two bills I believe they just I think they just got out of committee um, uh, and so that would be the Patriot movement's preference but I, I think Zinka uh, who's going to be the interior secretary he uh, doesn't he has gone on record to say he doesn't want land transfer to the states, but he definitely is very strongly in favor of loosening um, extra restrictions on like uh, mining and other um, extraction of public lands. So, so you, you, you said something early in, um, in your answer there, and you were speaking about consistency and about the lack of consistency in a lot of this movement kind of across the board and different things. And one of the things that I, I find a lot of irony in is this past year we've, you and I have, have dealt maybe not the whole, you know, of America paid a lot of attention, but people like you and I definitely did because it was something that we were covering. And we're talking about, you know, all these so-called patriots, these, you know, pocket constitution thumping, Patriots, rah, rah, it's all about the flag and don't do anything unconstitutional, blah, blah, blah. Well, where are they when we are really kind of on the precipice of, of, of a constitutional crisis? I mean, it, it, so for what I see and what my experience in and out of these movements over the last couple of decades is that there's so much influence of the conspiracy world, the conspiracy theories, Alex Jones and Breitbart, which Steve Bannon is the ex-former, you know, the former head of Breitbart. And and that relation to politics now, I mean, we have Trump in the White House and and he thinks that, you know, um, Alex Jones, you know, has has a great reputation. He promised that he's not going to let him down um, when you have that sort of stuff. So when you say that they that a lot of these people were not necessarily for Trump, I saw a lot of people that were for Trump. And that was a lot of the malicious side of it from my perspective. And then just the the rah-rah patriot side of it, they seem to have leaned more towards Cruz or or others, but it's you know it's um you know now once it once it came down to it once it came down to just you know one conservative choice of course you know that that was where they cast their vote with Trump but the conspiracy influence of it and having someone like Steve Bannon now you know potentially going to be taking a seat with the National Security Council how how do how do you think that that's going to play out? Well, they're going to support it. I mean, uh, uh, I mean it's going to play out terribly. Bannon is a fool. Um, uh, he, you know, I remember, I remember I saw one of his, the documentaries he made, Occupy Unmasked, um, 
he is delusional. Uh, he probably believes his own uh, press releases. Um, uh, but, you know, if, if he's like the Svengali to Trump, he's going to help Trump drive the country into the ground. Um, I, mean, I don't think Bannon can make logical decisions about about things. Um, he's going to make, he's used to being uh, a propagandist who's used to playing to his political base. And it's clear he doesn't know how to um, tray things to a national audience where you have a mixture of different, you know, people on the left and right and different people. I mean, this is like his statement that the press should just shut up. I mean, like, this is a ridiculous statement to make to a free press. And he spent years attacking the president. Um, so uh, I, the Patriot Movement is going to back what Trump and Bannon and the others are doing, because despite their claims about constitutionalism, it's really just a vehicle for these uh, radical right-wing conspiracy-driven politics. And those are going to be the politics that are going to be driving the Trump administration. So, you know, it doesn't matter if, I, I mean, I believe that most of them will go along even if Trump does make uh, an attempt to totally sideline the judiciary and to, to overrule. There's this question now about, um, since there's a federal ruling against DHS, uh, detaining people at the airports and DHS agents were still doing it. So there's a real question about, well, people in the government who are government employees, employees of different agencies, the military, will they obey the executive or obey the judiciary when the judiciary has told the executive that it's, it's overreached its power? And I think we're going to see more clashes about this coming very quickly. Well, I know uh, Mark Said, he's a D.C. national security attorney that's a recurring guest on the show. He's going to be on tomorrow and we're going to be talking about some of the some of the legal aspects of all of this. And it, it's quite fascinating to me because for me, you know, especially having been an activist, especially having had, you know, different periods of time where I, I was fearful of different things going on in the government. What I'm seeing now, especially just so happening so rapidly, it, it it is terrifying to me in in many different ways. And then when I think about the influence of someone like Alex Jones and and people at Breitbart and just that sort of very far right, that alternative right, that extreme you know thing. Now I'm the first one to say that you know conspiracies are real, but not everything is a conspiracy, and we have digital technology has made it where everybody that that has some free time or wants to do whatever and they found they can make gold mines even by just putting out hoax or this and hoax or that and you know lambasting people in, in every situation which is really part of something that's creating a lot of confusion in the country because I think that I mean well and I don't just think we know that there is a lot of ignorance that that's happening right now um, and we saw a lot of that with regards to um, people that voted for Trump and ignorant of the things that they were voting for the, and, and also complacent and caring about bald-faced lies that were coming out of the campaign and now out of the White House. So so now we have, you know, the situation with we got the conspiracy aspect of it. We have Trump making some very broad strokes, strokes really quick. But there's still that whole thing with Russia and the ties and the the alleged still dossier, you know, the 35 page dossier that had the two page synopsis that the uh, intelligence community had uh, presented Trump and um, allegations of blackmail, you know, and again, we got the travel ban, the Muslims, particularly the wall, all of this stuff happening. And I think that it's 
we have this weird exhaustion happening, you know, technology exhaustion because it's just flying at us. And so even though we heard about the dossier and even though, you know, it's just kind of set aside because, oh, now this has happened and this has happened and this has happened. Do you think that that these moves that Trump is making, do you think he's going to continue making them as rapidly as he has? And uh, the second part of that, do you think with Congress now saying that they are absolutely looking into potential of Russia having something to do with the election? Um, there's, a, you know, Politico has a FOIA out with Mark Said and the James Madison Project for the two-page dossier from the intelligence community. Is anything going to come of that? Well, you know, presidents always, you know, roll out their 100-day program in which they um, try to fulfill their campaign promises or whichever ones they think they can. So this is a particularly um, strong version of that. I mean, I'm not sure how much more Trump is going to be able to keep it up. Uh, I feel like the airport protests have given him a black eye. He's already backed away. It, you know, there was a alleged um, he was going to lift the protections for LGBTQ employees inside the federal government. He seems to have backed away from that. I think there's a realization that it can only alienate so many people so quickly. Um, but he's such an erratic character, and it's unclear who's in control. I mean, I think it's um, it seems that Bannon, he's giving Bannon more and more power. Uh, it's my impression, of course, I have no inside ear to the White House, that uh, he doesn't really know <laughs> what he's supposed to be doing. Um, and so he's surrounding him. This often happens. People, unsure leaders, surround themselves with, you know, ideologues who are willing to, like, give give a line, even if it's not a great line, like, you know, give a line in each circumstance about what to do, because they're at least more firm in, in making their decisions. Um, Trump's clearly got lots of dodgy connections around the world, and there's lots of things he's hiding. I mean, what president doesn't release their, their, their tax forms? Um, and so I can't, you know, again, I don't know what the truth about the allegations with um, with uh, Russia are, but there's there's a lot that Trump is keeping from the American public. That's clear. Well, let's talk about um, his issues with the media, with journalists. Um, I mean, tonight he was talking about his Supreme Court uh, nominees and his choice and uh, had banned CNN. So um, you're a journalist, Spencer. I mean, what... What are we looking at here for a future White House? Trump has said that unequivocally that he was going to be choosing which reporters were going to be covering the White House. Is that, I mean, I don't remember that in my history happening. No, it's it's new. He's, you know, he's trying to, and he's going to try to establish, um, you know, something that looks, a lot of people talk about, you know, the F word, talk about fascism and Nazism and stuff. I mean, Trump wants to look, he wants to establish um, something that looks more like one of these strongman dictatorships, like not, not a full dictatorship, but like, you know, a, a strong authoritarian leader with a, a cowed um, legislature under him. So something like Erdogan has in Turkey. Um, many of the followers in the alt-right, they praise uh, Perón um, in Argentina. So he wants to, he's trying to, um, uh, uh, He's clearly trying to sideline many elements inside the government and, you know, control power as much as he can. And he's trying to control the messaging as much as he can. And that's what he's doing, I think, with picking the media. You know, he wants there just to be one message, one voice, and it's his. Um, and, you know, as long as people uh, allow this to happen, I mean, it's hard. You know, sometimes things are easier to some things are easier to stop than others. Um 
But, you know, he I believe for sure he's going to push this as far as he possibly could. I don't think he has any sense of ethics or any respect for a liberal democratic system. Um, you know, he's trying to accrue as much. Presidents only have so much power, right? And he's trying to uh, grab more and more power. And I think it's, like, fair to point out that a lot of these things that he's doing, Obama kind of opened the door and laid the groundwork for him even if they weren't as bad as he's doing. But, you know, Obama did help concentrate power in the executive branch. Um, and so now Trump, you know, Trump is, is taking that and taking that and running with it. I, I certainly agree. And I think that that's really important what you said, because I think that a lot of people that that are right-leaning, that when they have a negative attitude about a quote-unquote liberal or whatever, they they tend to, it's all a blanket statement, but they don't listen and hear people like you that can say something, you know, negative, that could be perceived negative about the former president, uh, Barack Obama. So um, speaking of the media, today, Jerome Corsi from World Net Daily, you know, he said that he is now going to be the um, uh, D.C. political White House correspondent for Alex Jones's Infowars. And um was uh, applying for that privilege today and knowing Trump and Infowars and Alex Jones and all that, I'm sure that, you know, he's just going to get a free pass in there while, you know, a serious journalist that's not out with a, a very specific left or right leaning can, can get in there. Um, the other thing that uh, I wanted to ask you, because it's something that is, um, a very curious thing to me. So, you know, we have Bannon who, has said that he is a Leninist, particularly a Marxist. And then you have someone like Trump, who's a capitalist. And it doesn't seem like those two things mesh well together at face value, um, because it doesn't seem that Trump is inclined to do anything that someone that would be more leaning towards socialism first before communism, at the very least, would do. Um, Can you kind of touch on that? Well, my understanding of what Bannon said is that he said that he's – he didn't say he's a Leninist. He said he admires Lenin. And what I got out of that, or my understanding of that statement, is that he admired the fact that Lenin was simply willing to use brute force and brute power and crush his opponents and not care about ethics, uh, not care about democracy, and not care about fairness. You know, Lenin came to power by – in Russia after Kerensky's this transitional government – between the Tsar and the Communists. Uh, there finally was a, a legislature called the Duma. Was there was elections for the Duma, the legislature, the Congress in Russia for the first time ever. And Lenin and the Bolsheviks marched on it and um, dispersed them because they wanted to and took power. Um, so, the, you know, they actually didn't they overthrow the Tsar. They overthrew a, a democratic uh, Congress. And that's what uh, Bannon admires. Bannon is, a, uh, I think he calls himself a business, na- uh, 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 an economic nationalist is the term he uses. He wants uh, capitalism in one country rather than socialism in one country, right? And so this, these are the, um, the, this is what he's pushing Trump is to sort of um, limit the international trade but have unrestricted capitalism within the country. This is one of the things that lines up with the patriot movement. It's this sort of um, isolationist, Populism, but inside it's not like in Europe. In Europe, the pop, the, these racist, populist, anti-immigrant parties are, are generally like social democratic. They want to have, they want to keep the immigrants out so social welfare can, uh, benefits can remain high for for citizens and ethnic citizens. Inside the U.S., it's it's somewhat different. They want to they want to close the borders, but they want to get rid of any um, 
any government, you know, or get rid of much government regulation and social welfare, um, you know, uh, uh, programs so so much so far as they still exist. They've been hacked away for decades in the U.S. The U.S. actually has a very low level of government support for its citizens. Um, and so that in that way, Trump is following Bannon's lead. So uh, Bannon, the, uh, again, I, the, the term I believe he used is a business nationalist. Well, I, there's a quote, uh, November 12, 2013, in the Daily Beast, he was interviewed and he was asked, um, you know, kind of where he stood. And this is the quote from Steve Bannon. Um, he says, I'm a Leninist. And he said it rather proudly, according to the article. And he went on to say that Lenin wanted to destroy the state and that that was his goal, too, and that he wanted to bring everything, quote unquote, crashing down and destroy all of today's establishments. And then just a few months later, on February 10th, 2014, Donald Trump was in a Fox News, was on a Fox News show. And he said, quote, now you know what solves it when the economy crashes, when the country goes to total hell and everything is a disaster then you'll have riots to go back to where we used to be when we were great so those two statements go hand in hand together but again when you have bannon proclaiming to be a you know this leninist it just again it, it seems like an, an an odd coupling to me um but having having heard those quotes that i just read when you have these people that, um, you know, basically they're looking for a collapse of, of our current society, not necessarily just a system. And that in itself is frightening. And when you think about the things that they're doing and the disruption that is happening, um, resignations that have happened, people that are getting letting let go, positions that are not being filled or being worked properly, people's hands being tied, um, you know, the travel bans and this, that and the other. There are lots of different things taking place that could ultimately, if they kept up, start moving us more towards some sort of a, an economic collapse as they seem to desire. Um, I mean, now they've said this, that's out there, that's public record. So that being said, do you really think that they're going to push to try to really kind of crash the economy to start anew? I, I think I know Bannon the far right care. would, in I, a I, sense, well, Bannon the far right in a sense me, me would like that. Go ahead. The quote that from uh, this is from The Hill. Bannon says, I'm not a white nationalist. I'm, I'm a nationalist. I'm an economic nationalist. Um, so, um, yeah, but I think he does. He thinks that, to me, this looks like, uh, um, you know, when the Soviet Union fell, the U.S. pushed for, there was a huge collapse in the economy for years. The um, uh, there was a huge decline in people's health and the average life expectancy like crashed in Russia. And part of this is that they just sold out. They, when Yeltsin came in, they just sold all of the um, government holdings off. Right? The government essentially owned all businesses in Russia and all, all lands and stuff. And they just were like, just get rid of it. And the U.S. pushed very strongly for this policy. They're just like, make a fire sale because once it's out of the government's hands, it would be very difficult to renationalize it. And they didn't care what happened. Um, and this is what, you know, Naomi Klein has spoke the shock doctrine about. This is like a, a, in a different form that U.S. policy in, in Latin America and other countries where they were trying to, like, destroy the democratic socialist economic systems. And the whole idea was just simply to crash them as, as, as quick as possible. Um, and they're really kind of what it looks like that they're doing here. They don't care what the result is for the United States. Uh, this is what people need to understand, like Trump and Bannon and the others. They don't care what's going to happen to America. 
Bannon in particular, he has his agenda, and he's just going to enforce it. He doesn't care if he breaks in the classic phrase about Lenin, you know, you have to break an egg to make an omelet. He doesn't care how many eggs he breaks. He doesn't care how much chaos is created. But he's a propagandist. He's never had that. Neither, you know, of them have ever, you know, run a governmental agency, um, neither Bannon or Trump. And so they they have a, a program of, like, um, shock transition, and they're going to, like, see if they can do it. And they don't really care what the results are. I mean, they don't care that the results. They think that the results are going to end up in creating in them being able to reform a country in their vision. Um but they, they don't really care if people are, are hurt or killed, you know, in the process of it. That that so far is clear. I mean, the idea of like banning current green hard card holders, like families who are on vacation can't return to the U.S. I mean, like, what kind of a what kind of an ethicless person does this? You know, I, I agree. And there are obviously countless people that are touched by the travel ban, um, as there will be t- people touched by whatever, you know, comes of the wall, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but I think that we can't forget that there are Americans in America who are at war with their own friends and family over this administration. The division keeps on getting wider in, in my, my perspective, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. And it, it, this has just been a very, uh, it's had a tremendous impact, um, I think. And, you know, this whole America first when when is Trump in America first? When is he actually thinking of Americans first, not just America? America's a piece of dirt, and yeah, it's our land and all that. But the the people that that live and breathe on it and work it and and you know uphold it, those are the, the those are what matters. So when when are Americans going to be first in this administration? From what you're seeing, because a lot of the stuff that that Trump has talked about over, you know, the last year or so, um, you know, with his platform and stuff, it's, it seems very narrow. I mean, it's very slashing, you know, broad strokes, but very narrow with who it's actually helping. Oh yeah. Trump doesn't care. I mean, Trump, you know, is acting like he's a mandate and he got slammed in the popular election, you know, I mean, he lost by 3 million votes. He just doesn't, he's not trying even to appeal to any, buddy outside of his core constituency he's just trying to wield power like that's it he doesn't care about so what do you do you think that anything is going to come of any of the russian stuff or anything like that i mean do you think that donald trump is going to be impeached in his first term do you think that's a a, a real possibility or a slim possibility i you know a lot of this is going to ride on whether the democrats um, can organize themselves to act as an opposition party, which I'm not terribly convinced that they can. And they'll have to do that with a chunk of Republicans who will break away. And that would be the only way that would happen within the Congress. Do you now, there's think, parts of the. Um, think, oh, go ahead. Uh, there's parts of the um, b- broader apparatus of the, the, the government itself that's already moving in opposition. You know, he's, Trump has alienated the State Department almost entirely, the military and uh, people involved in public land. So he's alienating a big part of the um, government bureaucracy itself. But um, for there to be something like an impeachment, he's going to have to, uh, you know, alienate a lot of Republicans, and they finally, you know, all have all their ducks in a row where they have the presidency in both houses. So that's going to be a bit of a hard sell for them to turn on their guy. 
do you think that um, the the far right is going to continue to support Donald Trump? Um, do you think the movement's going to grow? Do you think it's going to start, you know, s- diminishing? Do you think that? I mean, what what are they what are they going to be able to have to you know thump their chests over now if you know Trump in the office doing all these things that they want? Well, it depends which part you're talking about. Um, the I think he's going to steal the thunder of the patriot movement especially if there's move towards either land transfer or just loosening up, you know, um, land use restrictions, this dere- if there's deregulation uh, on public lands and a loosening of the environmental laws. That, because that's their big issue that they, it's not like ideologically the main thing that drives them, but that's been their most popular organizing issue. And so I just don't see how they're going to, they've gained a lot of traction by being in opposition. And I just don't see how they're going to, that's going to be, a popular issue that people are going to turn to them rather than just be a supporter of Trump. Similarly, Trump is a very strong, you know, a, a supporter of gun rights. So there's they, their whole rhetoric, their their ridiculous rhetoric about the Democrats going to seize the guns. You know, four years didn't do it. Um, they're not going to be even able to deploy this rhetoric against him. Um, the white nationalist movement is growing very very quickly. Um, we we believe I believe it's growing very quickly. They're flexing their muscles. You know, they just opened the alt-right leader, Richard Spencer, just opened a new headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, They will um, expand as quickly as they can under Trump. Trump is creating a very favorable political atmosphere for them. And um, it's, it's, there's been a number of disturbing circumstances where it seems like they're able to act very aggressively against their opponents. For example, one of, um, there was a demonstration against an alt-right speaker in Seattle, and one of the demonstrators was actually shot in the stomach by an alt-right supporter, and then the cops didn't even charge the guy who shot him, even though he was shot on a campus where you're not allowed to have a gun. The guy couldn't even have a gun on this campus. And so there, there may be, Trump may through his, you know, telling federal agencies or just by signaling to local police that they can do what they want, that the they may allow um, racist, you know, racist and fascist groups on the ground to act, you know, as, you know, paramilitary or gangs um, to attack their critics, and they may, you know, do that with the protection of the police, and that will help them. That's one of their big organizing strategies, and that will help them expand as well. So... I believe in general that movement's going to continue to expand. It may hit. It may hit a. Um, Trump may be enough of a racist that they may hit a wall at some point where people are like, "Well, why should we be interested in you?" Trump's already carrying these policies out, but that ha- certainly hasn't happened yet, and they see a bright future ahead for them. When you were studying the um, the far right, were you finding um, when it came to like the patriot movement and stuff like that? Were you finding a lot of people that were? Um, bear with me on this, that we're like maybe on government assistant, getting a lot of government loans or anything like that, because I'm wondering if this coming economic stuff is going to impact them in ways that they weren't expecting. Um, Some of the people are tied to the military. uh, So they either, you know, get a pension or whatever, or they get VA benefits. Uh, Some people, but not a lot were, uh, ranchers or something. And so they were using um, government lands, uh, getting, you know, loans, farming loans. Um, some people are on disability. There are a number of people on disability. 3% are leader, uh, but 3% are leader who passed away recently. Mike Vanderbilt was on disability, which allowed mm-hmm. him to go travel around the country and preach against the government. 
Um, so some of them, you know, you often do find this libertarian attitude in areas of intense government subsidies. This is a big thing in the aerospace industry. And in the early internet, which, you know, in the like 80s and 90s was totally, you know, hub created by the, the military and the universities. And there was this extreme libertarianism there, which was kind of funny since it was like all in the subsidized industry, but you often get that dynamic. So I don't know, you know, I, I, these people think that, it, I, they think that somehow some massive deregulation is gonna um, benefit people um, outside of the urban cores, and I'm, I'm pretty much happy to bet against that. I think they're gonna do, uh, you know, on an economic level, rural, rural areas in particular are gonna do worse under Trump, the more subsidies are removed. And um, what about uh, what it, you know, I, I don't know how how often you're like continuously researching and stuff, but with regards to the demographic of those that would be, you know, fall into the far right when it comes to health care, um, are they they have private health care? They have state run health care. I mean, is are they going to be impacted by any um, by, you know, Obamacare being repealed or changed? I, I guess I'm looking, Spencer, I'm looking for what out of this administration would actually touch them in, in their view negatively. Well, they're across, I mean, I couldn't tell you who has what healthcare, but um, these movements in the far right, a lot of studies have shown that they're, despite people, some of them stereotype them as like, you know, poor people. It depends, you know, the clan, people always think it's like poor rural people. Um, they're really taken as a whole. These movements are cross-class movements, and so some people are poor, but a lot of people are middle class, and some people are quite wealthy. It seems like the alt-right leader Richard Spencer comes from a pretty wealthy family. Um, you know, I can't open an office in Alexandria, Virginia, um, and, and so I think mo many of them are more driven by ideology than they are by any objective um, interest. Uh, for things, but their followers are more the more fair weather followers may be driven by more um you know uh, um, uh, hopes to gain financially like I think all of these people who start following the patriot leaders in little towns who are like, oh yeah, let's uh privatize the public lands or transfer the public lands out of federal hands. They may be driven by some um hope of economic gain, but the leadership's not for these movements. Do you think the wall's gonna happen? Trump's wall. Gosh, there's going to be a lot of opposition if that happens. So he may try it. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. Some of the people opposed to it. One of them is the after I went to the um, Maher occupation, and then afterwards, right afterwards, I went to um, went to the Southwest, and I was in Arizona, and I met with a couple members of the Alton uh, tribe. It's the Native American tribe there, and they are um, historic tribal lands both in the U.S. and Mexico, and they're totally, so the, the reservations on in the U.S. side is on the border, but, you know, south of there, they have, they have tri tribal members living in Mexico, and they don't recognize the border. Um, and they're totally opposed to, you know, a fence being built across the border. So um, there will be, if he tries it, there will be a lot more, op I think, more opposition than even to the Muslim ban. Um, but he may try it. Yeah, I mean, I think he will. He will have to try it. He sort of made it his signature calling. Well, calling let's 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 say, <laughs> let's say construction starts in a month. How long? How long is it going to get drug out if he does it? I mean, do you think that he's just going to like 
trying to make it happen really fast. I mean, how quickly can something like that be done? I, I, I here's what I imagine. I imagine a lot of um, landowners uh, and stuff. Maybe even a lot of farmers or people that live off the land. And 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 again, where are those Bundy patriots? You know, for <laughs> for farmers and other landowners. But um, you know, I, I like you said, there's going to be a big fight. Has a lot of momentum. You have the border militia out there that I mean, the wall basically put him out of work, right? So I don't know if they're going to be that supportive of the wall. But I, I don't see it being anything that's going to happen overnight, even if there was a lot put behind it and and construction started immediately. I really don't this is out of my I haven't even really thought about this question so I'm going to have to defer to <laughs> you on it I think it's it's going to it it would be you know it would be a huge explosive thing in the country to try to do it I'm not sure that he can just snap his fingers and do it yeah, it's always, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think, you know, rhetoric, the show, challenging the rhetoric. There's all this rhetoric, all this rhetoric. Now, we, we've seen Trump actually take some action on some of the rhetoric that he's put out there. Um, so it makes you wonder what's what's still to come. Where we are right now, you know, with, with the travel ban situation, with families being split up, with, you know, this wall hanging, you know, looming over us, and just all this nasty, nasty rhetoric. I mean, is decency kind of gone under this administration at this? point is this kind of our new normal did anyone expect decency out of this administration <laughs> well no but i mean there should be some sort of decorum out of the white house i mean look what happened with um you know the well you know it reminds me spencer this reminds me of when i was a child when i was a child my family liked to go to las vegas um and on the few occasions that i went it was really still kind of glamorous at that time i'm i'm almost 49 so it's been a while but it was still kind of glamorous. Now, I mean, you can walk around in thong bikinis and flip-flops and it's nothing. But so, I mean, the White House has kind of just gone the way of Vegas in that sense. And like I said in the oh. opening, I really feel like <laughs> I really feel like it, we're in this really weird um, reality show. And and and, you know, with what happened yesterday with um, Sally Yates, acting attorney general. Uh, OK, I, this just is crazy to me that it is her job to do what she did to make those sorts of decisions and if they're against a presidential directive an executive order then how who who, who trumps trump you know how, how can you see what i'm saying i mean so how, how do we win when we have people that are there willing to stick up and stand up but he can just say you're fired well i'd like to correct your metaphor i think uh, the administration is more like atlantic city You've been to Atlantic City lately, and all the empty uh, casinos and the ravaged town, that's what the administration looks like. You know, a, a bright, uh, uh, um, a very thin, glitzy exterior and, and all rotten underneath. Um, well, uh, go to the AG. I mean, that's what, that's what people in the government should do and be like, I will not, you know, uh, help you implement um, unlawful and unconstitutional orders. <laughs> you know, isn't that what the Oath Keepers always say? Um, people in the administration should, you know, and the government should uh, just simply refuse to um, follow Trump's nonsense. You know, there's time to take stand, you know, for what's right. And this is that time in America. For sure. And um, speaking of it being this, that time in America, you know, you yourself are also an activist. And um, what would you um, suggest for people that 
want to be active and 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 do something i mean maybe you can give you know three or four different suggestions of something that that would make, help them feel empowered well um everyone's asking me this and nobody knows exactly what to do i mean i think the airport demonstrations were great and if they're still ongoing in your city you should join them um uh, I myself went out to JFK and was there, you know, in the cold for a number of hours, and I thought it was really inspiring. People were really angry, um, and you know, there's something good about getting in the streets itself. As you know, you've been to many demonstrations. I mean, it's 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 not enough just to be in the streets, but it does give you a sense of you know um, resisting together with others uh, and breaking isolation. I think people should pressure their um, representatives to stand up to Trump. Um, you know, if people are on the fence that they shouldn't, um, you know, to try to get them to uh, not approve his appointees and to try to get, um, make sure that Bannon isn't actually appointed to the National Security Council. Um, and people need to, I think, you know, I'm just telling because people don't know what to do right now, to pick a, a political group in their town and start getting involved in them because, um, you know, when it's time to move, it's going to happen quickly. And if you're not linked into a network of other political people, you're not necessarily going to hear, you know, the call immediately about what needs to be done. And so people need to get politically active, choose, you know, most groups are very public. They have Facebook pages and web pages and all that stuff. Find a, Find an actual group the actual area you live and start participating in activities with them and then you know then you'll be much more linked in with um you'll be able to get better political information and you'll be um when when things happen you know you'll be able to start taking actions and like the as, as people are debating what actions to take you off so you know as these debates happen you'll be able to follow them closer uh, and then choose what you want to do so it's not you know, really clear what people are supposed to do right now, except I think people need to just start. Uh, there's a nation FAU. People just need to throw sand in the gears at this point and try to try to shut the Trump machine down. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people feel very impotent um, in this situation. And I, I think that that's normal, you know, anytime we have, you know, what we deem to be a bad thing happening. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about Political Research Associates? Um, sure. It's a Boston-based think tank. Um, been around for a number of decades. Uh, we uh, it's a um, progressive think tank that uh, monitors far right organizing and activism and writes uh, 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 research, you know, for the public, but with scholarly uh, level of rigor about these movements to uh, show their history and to analyze them. And so people, uh, you know, everything's free. You can go to the website politicalresearch.org. Um, there's just a new, uh, very long, 10,000 word essay about the ideology and development of the alt-right by Matthew Lyons called Control-Alt-Delete that people might be interested in and, um, you know, lots of other work about various parts of the, um, sort of from the from the, the right wing of the Republicans, right, and through the neo-Nazi movement, so the, the more uh, um, further, further right political elements in our country. Um, also, the listeners, you can go to spencersunshine.com and learn more about Spencer. The stories that we talked about that I've read that Spencer has written, uh, the, the big report up in arms, as well as the anti-fascism story or anti-fascist movement story, is um, I've, I've already put those out on the Facebook page while we were talking about them on the show, as well as the link to Political Research Associates and Spencer's personal link. Um, I will tweet those out uh, on Twitter after the show as well. Um, Spencer, do you have any parting words for the listeners? I mean, I think people are really kind of looking for hope right now. Um, they are, and people, I mean, I think it, it's 
a, a crucial movement that people need to uh, uh, gear up to resist because I, I think at this point the fight is really only beginning uh, against the Trump administration. So there's uh, no reason to feel despondent. There's um, lots of action to come and everybody should participate in it. Yeah, for sure. Spencer, thank you so much for joining me. I hope to have you on again. I love having you on. You're full of information and you're just fun. <laughs> thank you very much, Sherry. It's always a pleasure See, to be you on <laughs> All right. Um, I hope you have a great evening and I'll schedule with you to come back soon. Thanks a bunch. When I was raising my kids, dinner time was the meal that we all came together for as a family. As we sat around that dinner table, we would take our turns saying first what our low point of the day was, and then we would add our high. It didn't matter whether we had company over or not, or whether we were out at a restaurant with people watching. Playing low high was a nightly tradition for us. It allowed each of us to recognize that we'd all experienced both a low and a high point that day. It also made those of us who'd maybe had a bad day to reach inside to find something good to take away from it and also share of it. And by ending on our highs, our dinnertime conversations almost always ended on, you guessed it, a high note. A study presented earlier this month at the 2017 Society for the Personal- Personality and Social Psychology Annual Convention found that sharing good news with loved ones can boost your mood and theirs even in tough times. We have a lot of tough times right now. They say it can also help you sleep better feel less lonely, and have a better response to intimacy. Wow. All the healthy habits that lead to a more fulfilled and happy life, at least according to the researchers. The caveat is that in order to reap the benefits of this exchange, the person hearing the good news had to respond positively for both the giver of the news and the one receiving it to feel better about whatever circumstances. Moving forward with the show, I want to end each show with a story about something or someone good in this country. One of the hardest lessons I learned in hindsight as a decades-long activist was that if I was spending all of my time trying to expose the bad and save the world, then I wasn't spending any of my time living in the world and enjoying any of the right now. The next thing I knew, many years had passed, and my children were grown, but at least I still have those low highs to hold on to and remember. Saving the world, it starts at home. It starts in your heart, in your own conscience, not on the internet. It means doing more than endless web surfing, clicking, sharing, all that clickbait. It's more than playing keyboard cowboy or an up-in-arms renegade. It means more because it actually means living. And to live, we need to see a light at the end of our tunnel, a light to guide us through any storm. That is where hope whispers and where it can be felt. Our words and our many voices have power. What impact are your words making in the world, in your community, in your home? We each have to take responsibility for the propaganda we participate in, whether we are creating it or curating it. Click, like, share. It's just the same as lather, rinse, repeat. Somebody's selling something. And are we any better for it? That's it for me tonight. I'll be back tomorrow, live tomorrow, Wednesday, February 1st at 6 p.m., 9 p.m. Eastern. So it's 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to have Mark Sade. He is the D.C. National Security Attorney. He is the attorney that has filed the the FOIA for Josh Gerstein over at Politico, looking for the two-page synopsis from the intelligence community that uh, was uh, put together for Trump off of that 35-page dossier, the Steele dossier. If you uh, if you don't tune in tomorrow, you can always catch that archive, but it's going to be a big show. I definitely uh, think that you should uh, make it a, 
a point to bookmark that link. It's already out there. Until then, be kind to one another. If you like what I'm doing, please share the links. Gratuities to the CTR PayPal are also appreciated. If you missed a part of tonight's show or any of the other shows, you can always find the archive um, on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. Thanks for listening. <laughs>